Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we'll be speaking with guest expert Corey Stern. Corey is a New York-based attorney representing children in Flint. He's the lead counsel for the proposed settlement with Michigan and other parties of over $640 million. Let's hear what he has to say about the Flint water crisis. Hi, Corey. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So I was hoping that we could start off by having you give us a brief overview of the Flint water crisis. I know it's a lot, but just to get us in the, you know, mindset. Sure. So there's like, there's two stories. I mean, the, there's, and there's two starting points. Uh, most of the media has covered the starting point as sometime in 2013 when the city of Flint, which was getting its water for decades from Detroit, chose to leave the Detroit water system to join a conglomerate that was going to provide water at a cheaper rate. And that conglomerate was called the Karagandi Water Authority. People refer to it as the KWA. So the decision sort of kicked off this string of events that happened, which ultimately led to Flint getting bad water. Um, In order for Flint to switch to the KWA, which wasn't going to be ready for three or four years, it was going to have to use an interim water source. It was going to have to use some water for, for the time being because it was leaving Detroit and its new place wasn't going to be ready. And so in Flint's backyard is the Flint River. Uh, Flint River has for decades been kind of a filthy water source. Uh, rumors have circulated around Flint for years and years and years that General Motors, which used to be in Flint, used to dump into the Flint River. And everyone in Flint kind of knows this. 
years ago before the decision was made to even switch to the KWA, Flint had a private engineering company do an assessment of the viability of the Flint River as a water source. And it was pretty clear that in order to use it, you have to do millions and millions and millions of dollars of upgrades to the Flint water treatment plant. And it just wasn't very viable. The other story that doesn't get reported too much is that there were a lot of people who had a lot to gain financially from this switch. And for years Mm. before Flint made the decision to switch to the KWA, there was a push within Flint from sort of the higher ups in Flint, um, whether it was the Flint County Drain Commissioner or other politicians who were being lobbied by the companies who would construct the KWA uh, to, to switch. And ultimately, the decision that was made in 2013 was kind of born years and years before that in the minds of many people. Um, there was a bank or two or three that were involved in the funding of the switch. And so Flint was in financial turmoil when all of this went down. And so in, in Michigan, you can have a situation where a city either needs to go into bankruptcy or gets an emergency manager appointed by the governor because their finances are so bad. They are so far in the red. Mm. Flint was in that position. And so an emergency manager was appointed in 2012 and then again in 2013. And because they were in that financial situation, it wasn't just free to switch to the KWA. Like You have to pay for it. Someone has to pay for it. And it was going to come with an $80 million bill to Flint. Wow. So so how does a broke city that, you know, a broke ass city that can't even afford to keep its own government and management in place that needs an emergency manager, how does it somehow get the ability to borrow or use $80 million that it doesn't have for a water conglomerate that isn't going to be built for three or four years? Well, walks in JP Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, and no one's really reported on that. But they issued, uh, you know, 80 80 or so million dollars worth of bonds so that Flint could actually join the KWA. Not only did they issue the bonds, but they ultimately purchased the bonds at a much reduced rate. And all along that process, which was a very short process, it was clear to J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo that in order for this to happen, they were going to have to use the Flint River and the Flint River was not a viable source at the time that it was going to go into use and that people would probably get sick. This is stuff the banks knew and they did it anyway because they stood to make so much money as a result of the bonds that they were ultimately going to be able to to get paid on that they ended up making the making the deal on the bonds. So it's a long kind of convoluted story, but you know, like everything else in life, you sort of follow the money and who stood to gain the most by switching from the good water to the bad water. It was politicians and it was the banks. And I'm assuming they're the ones who gave the green light for the switch. So there were like a lot of green lights. Like it's like just a road full of green lights. And, (laughs) and so First off, in order to even take out a loan of that amount, the state treasurer had to had to give the thumbs up or the green light. And that happened. Okay. Then you had to get the bonding companies to give the green light. And that happened. Then you had to get the actual Department of Environmental Quality to give the green light. And that happened. And all the while, all of those entities, they either knew or they absolutely should have known that every time they said yes and gave the green light, that the likelihood of people getting hurt was increasing exponentially. And so 
there there's a number of you know it's like 40 people shoot a gun at a bear in the woods and the bear ends up dying you may not know which bullet killed the bear but you know he got hit 40 times so everybody's got a little bit of the burden to bear wow yeah (laughs) so how did you get involved with this case yeah, um, kind of crazy. Uh, you know, I, I probably don't sound like a New York lawyer. I, I spent uh, 20 years in Georgia before I moved to New York in 2014. I've handled lead poisoning cases. So, uh, you know, normally that involves bad paint that was from before 1978 or even earlier before 1960. I've represented like hundreds of kids around the, the country who live in public housing, usually very low income neighborhoods where the government provides housing. And those buildings are typically built really, really a long time ago. I was in New York um, working on some lead poisoning cases, and I got a phone call from a woman in Detroit who said that her kids were lead poisoned in Flint, Michigan at a homeless shelter by water. And I thought it was one of the most like batshit crazy things I'd ever heard. It was before it was before Flint was being publicly discussed nationally. It was before Rachel Maddow got involved and kind of made this a very big push in terms of things that she was reporting on. So I told the woman, number one, I wasn't even licensed to practice law in Michigan. I told her, number two, it seems odd to me that your kids could be so damaged from, you know, just from the water for a very short period of time that she had explained that they had lived there. And I kind of poo-pooed it. Um, And then I've I've got like two bosses in my life, despite being a partner in a firm. One is my wife and one is my secretary. And and both of them, both of them kind of heard the story. I told my wife at home and I, I told my secretary after I got the call and they were both like, that sounds like something you should you should do. Like you should consider it. So I thought about it for a while. I started doing a little bit of research and found these kind of very subtle online presences of of community leaders who were discussing this water issue. But again, it had not hit the national media yet. And I called the woman back. I said, hey, let me try and help you. She laughed at me because I told her that I wasn't licensed in Michigan and wondered how over the course of three days I now suddenly wanted to help. And I told her my wife was making me do it. And it's also kind of tugging at my heart a bit. Um, ironically, about two weeks later, Rachel Maddow was about to host a, a live town hall from an elementary or middle school in Flint, Michigan. Uh, community activists and leaders were going to be there. Government folks were going to be there. And I tried really hard to get a ticket for the thing, but I couldn't. Mm. So I, I decided to just fly there. Um, I, I got on the plane. I flew there. I showed up. Uh, I, you know, I was wearing a suit, I think. And I went to the front desk and tried to get in. And the lady was like, are you a lawyer? I said, yeah. She said, you, yeah, there's, do you, do you have a ticket? I said, no. And they wouldn't let me in. I went back to my car that I had rented and I, I, um, I have some tattoos on my arms. I, I put on like a t-shirt and a backwards baseball cap and some <laughs> jeans. And I walked in again and it was a different lady there. And I said, Hey, I'm here for the town hall. And she just let me in. <laughs> and uh, so I, I got into the town hall. I heard this story that the government was telling these families that were there and, and they were essentially saying, everybody's going to be fine. Kids are going to be fine. Just eat a bunch of leafy greens. We're going to get a bunch more school nurses and, and this, this will subside. Everybody will be okay. And from my experience in having handled cases for kids that are that are significantly damaged from lead poisoning, I couldn't believe it was outrageous what they were telling these folks. And so I uh, went back to my office in New York. I sat down with my partners and I said, I, I think like we don't need to just do this case. I just think I need to go there and just talk to these people because they are being fed what I would consider to be untruthful statements, if not flat out lies. 
my partners all agreed. I got on a plane the next week and I started going to Flint every Monday till Thursday or Friday for about 10 months, starting in, in January or February of 2016. I would talk to parents at churches, at schools, in an office that we rented, anywhere they would want to talk, anywhere I could get to talk to folks about the realities of lead poisoning. And so it went from having that one lady and her family who hired me to like 40 or 50 and then Today, you know, because I guess of the amount of time I've spent there and the work I've done, I represent about 3,000 children and their parents and all individually. We filed cases for all of them, like in their own names, not as a class action. And um, and that's kind of the short version of how I ended up in Flint. Right. So you're an integral part of this recent uh, $640 million settlement. Um, can you tell us about the settlement and why it's it's so unique, I've read? Sure. So first off, it's unique just because it's really hard to sue the government. I mean, in any world, you know, in, in any type of case, governments have a lot of defenses that you and me don't have. Oh. If you and I are, are drag racing 100 miles an hour down the highway and, and we accidentally kill somebody, we're going to be in a significant amount of civil and criminal trouble. The government, you know, if a cop is going 100 miles an hour down the same road at the same time and kills the same person because they're working for the government, there's very specific ways in which that person can be held liable and the government can be held liable. And those are those are few and far between. So the fact that this and that, you know, nobody here was driving fast and, and necessarily killed anybody. But, you know, the the the, the government agreed to pay six hundred million dollars to a community of people that were hurt. And that's despite all of the defenses that it has raised and could continue to raise. And so one of the most unique parts of it is I don't know any other situation where a state has, through a legislative process of Democrats and Republicans, voted to and agreed to pay $600 million to a community. It's also very um, unusual because Michigan, despite having a Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, has a majority Republican Congress. Mm -hmm. And Flint is an impoverished community, primarily African-American. Not that Republicans wouldn't take care of every community necessarily, but to have in such a political time and space that we exist in, a Republican legislature coming together, coming together with a Democrat governor to create legislation that's going to pay a community that's primarily Democrats and doesn't necessarily look like the constituencies of the majority of the Republicans in the Michigan state legislature, that in and of itself was like a miracle. If you would have asked me five years ago if that would have ever happened, I would have bet a significant amount of my own money that it wouldn't have. So it's unique in that respect. It's also unique in one other way, and that's the majority of the money is going to children. And so 80 percent of the money is going to kids or people who were kids at the time of the of the crisis. And none of those children are being treated as a class action. So every single kid and that's kind of nuanced legal mumbo jumbo. But class actions are a little bit easier to settle because, <coughs> excuse me, you send out a notice. People are automatically in it. If they don't respond, they're in the class and then they get a check in the mail. It's right. a little more complicated than that, but that's yeah. the general gist of it. With individual cases, everyone has to actually affirmatively make a claim and they're going to have to show medical records and, and certain things that indicate they were actually injured. And for me, that was the only way I would ever have agreed to such a settlement because every kid is different right. and, and lead, you know, lead poisoning changes people's lives in a variety of ways. But I got two kids 
they're basically the same age, 11 and 12 and a half or 13. If they got lead poisoned in the same place at the same time, they would be affected differently because one of my kids may end up being a rocket scientist based on what I've seen from him. And the other one, I don't know what he's going to be, but he ain't going to be a rocket scientist. And what lead poisoning does to, to, to a kid. Hopefully he's not a podcaster. So yeah, well, he already, I'm already, you know, he's 13. So I'm already in the dumps. And you know, by the way, I didn't say which one was which they both probably think they'd be rocket scientists. But um, now the point is, is that you don't, you don't really treat every kid the exact same because every kid's not damaged the same way. And to just dump the same amount of money on every single person that's been affected, that would benefit some people more than they probably should be benefited. And it would also benefit significant number of people less than it should be. So it's unique in those respects. So, Before this investigation, um, uh, you know, th- this recent investigation that has led to criminal charges against state officials, had anyone been prosecuted for this disaster? And, and, yeah. and th- lead us into who's under fire now and why. Yeah. So, again, like someone should just make a Flint soap opera that they could they could play for years because there's a lot. There's just it, it's it's a ridiculous politics are ridiculous. And, you know, normally when I'm handling cases for kids that are hurt, I'm suing a landlord who has done a bad job maintaining a building and the kid's been hurt real bad and politics aren't typically involved in 2016 or late 2015, the governor of Michigan was Republican. His name was Rick Snyder. His attorney general was named Bill Schuette. Bill Schuette decided to create a special prosecutor's office to investigate and potentially prosecute criminal activity that was a part of the Flint water crisis. So you have a Republican governor who is being named in a lot of these lawsuits for his role in the crisis and his Republican attorney general or the state's Republican attorney general creating a whole system where he could potentially prosecute the governor amongst you know hundreds of other people. He appoints a special prosecutor named Todd Flood, who's also a Republican, and Todd creates a team of people that does a sincere, bona fide, long investigation, and they begin the process of actually prosecuting a number of people. He doesn't just start prosecuting people for misdemeanors. He actually brings charges for involuntary manslaughter against a number of officials because there are people who died from contracting Legionella in their bacteria and and were diagnosed with or should have been diagnosed with Legionnaire's disease and died. Todd Flood gets what the equivalent of an indictment is in Michigan. He gets a case for, for manslaughter bound over, meaning he has an entire mini trial in front of a judge and gets it bound over. And then Gretchen Whitmer, the Democrat governor, gets elected. A new attorney general, Dana Nessel, comes in. And within weeks, they just scrap everything that Todd Flood did. They, they, they say that the investigation was done shoddy, that they want to do their own investigation. And, and I, know, I know all these people. I know Todd. Listen, Todd is he is like a beautiful piece of chaos. He, if you ever walked in his office, it looks like you know a tornado hit. But he knows where everything is at all times. And despite his politics, I'm I'm I am about as liberal of a of a white male as you will ever meet in your life. I got to know him. I like him. I think he did an amazing job. And then these these politicians who I would have voted for had I been a Michigan resident come in and just toss the entire thing. They dismiss charges that not 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 permanently, but they want to yeah. do their own investigation. Years go by and nothing happens. And then in the last two months. 
they have now brought charges against the same and additional defendants with criminal, you know, criminal charges, including nine counts of manslaughter against a number of government officials who were in charge of the Department of Environmental Quality and the Department of, of Health and Human Services. And they brought misdemeanor charges against the governor, former Governor Snyder, as well as uh, some of his his highest ranking advisors. So, you know, the charges against the governor, in in my opinion, appear to be a little more symbolic than, you know, it's like speeding tickets. I mean, he, he's probably never going to hold public office again anyway as a result of the scandal. And he's doing OK for himself in terms of his private you know, business that, that he's a part of now. But he's being charged. And then these other folks who are being charged with manslaughter. I mean, that's real stuff. I mean, you, right. you, you can you can nine counts of manslaughter. You could go to jail for the rest of your life. Um, and so that's where the criminal stuff stands. Now, there's still a lot more that has to be done in terms of getting justice for these victims. What still needs to happen? So the settlement, the six hundred and forty one million dollar settlement is not with all of the bad guys. So so there are private engineering companies who either facilitated the switch from the good water to the bad water or came in a little bit later and tested the water because people were freaking out because their water was looking like urine in jars. And those entities absolutely bear some of the responsibility for what happened in Flint, and they are not part of the settlement. The Environmental Protection Agency, the federal government, which oversees environmental quality for our entire country through an intricate process with states, they have been sued. We've sued them for 2,000 of our clients, and other lawyers have sued them as well. And under the former administration, the Trump administration, not only did they refuse to, to try and resolve the cases, but they insisted they did nothing wrong. Hopefully that changes with the new administration, but the cases against the Environmental Protection Agency are pending. And then you have, we filed a case against J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo for the role that they played in the issuance of the bonds. We just filed that very recently in the last six months because it took two or three years to investigate and get testimony from other witnesses about the role that the banks played during that process. So people keep reporting on the settlement like the Flint thing is over. We have trials scheduled for the second week of October for the first group of children who were poisoned in Flint. And those trials, as of now, are going forward against the private entities and any of the other entities that are still associated with the case. So it's not like the case is ended. It's in a lot of cases, if, if you if you were, were struck by a car and you filed a lawsuit against the driver that hit you, if it was a truck driver, you would maybe sue the truck company, the driver himself, the brakes manufacturer, whoever did work on the on the vehicle. And you could settle with the driver and the company and still continue the case against the brake manufacturer and whoever serviced the brakes because you don't settle the entire case necessarily when you settle with one or two of the folks who are involved. So the case is continuing to be litigated. So I'm I'm almost scared to ask you this because I don't know if I want to know the answer, but how common are these water problems in cities across the country? Was this just a, a one-time thing that happened in Flint? No. Uh, so it, it is sad. I mean, it's our country, the infrastructure of our country in terms of water delivery systems is mainly lead pipes. And so, you know, in, in, in every city in the country, there's likely some level of lead in the pipes. The, the issue is, is you can treat water in an appropriate way 
that makes it less likely that when the water flows through the pipes, that anything from the pipes will leach to the water. What happened in Flint was, you know, if I were explaining it to one of my kids, which I have a hundred times, and I'm not sure they understand it. The rocket scientist does. The other one still hadn't gotten it. But, um, you know, there's stuff you can put in water that treats the water properly. It's called corrosion control, meaning that corroded pipes won't mess up the water. Flint didn't use any of that. Right. And so when the water was going through the pipes, it picked up all of the corrosive materials from the pipes. So as long as cities are treating their water appropriately, the water is likely safe for the time being. But ultimately, there's no amount of corrosion control that you could put in water that will effectively save you from the, the, the pipes in the long run. So what really needs to happen in our country is there needs to be a push to change out the infrastructure from lead pipes to other materials, or scientists need to find a way to make sure that there's never a chance that things in, in pipes, the materials in pipes would leach to the water. But it requires a significant investment in infrastructure. And that sounds, again, like very hoity-toity, but it really means you got to replace stuff that's underground in order to keep people safe. And there's ways to do it that would benefit society beyond just the thing itself. Like if Flint was a community like it is or other communities that are like Flint with low employment rates and uh, um, an underserved community with impoverished folks who live below the poverty line, if you were to create a system where those would be the folks who could work on the pipes, you could simultaneously be, be employing and paying them to do the work that's required for their community to be safe to do the work for their community that's required to have businesses come in and invest in the community. Like who right now, if you were starting your own business and you were looking for a place in the country to start it, I'm not sure many people would put Flint at the top of their list because of the unknown about the water presently and because of the socioeconomic nature of that community. Right. So it, it requires that everywhere, whether it's Newark, New Jersey or Milwaukee, Wisconsin or Flint, Michigan, that's ultimately going to be required across the country. I mean, do you think that the racial makeup of Flint and the, the fact that most people do live below the poverty line, did that have a factor in, in this case or in of this course. situation? Of course. And, and it, well, you know, the racial part of it is a sexier conversation than the reality, which is it's more socioeconomic to me than it is racial. Uh, you know, I'd say 40 to 50 percent of my clients are white, but they, they live in the same conditions and they earn the same wages as their as their black neighbors. So I think that in most situations where the socioeconomic situation is very bad for a community, that community tends to be comprised of a majority of minorities. So that's the situation in Flint. What really happened, I think, is that because of the way the community looked and because of the socioeconomic reality of that community, that leaders did not pay the same level of attention to those complaints as they were happening. So if you, you know, if you do you live in New York, is that is that where your home base is? Uh, Los Angeles. OK, so if you you know, the difference between Beverly Hills and Compton may only be 25 to 40 miles. You know, I don't know what the what the distance is, yeah. but the re, but the reality is, is that if you were in Compton and you were showing jars of bad water versus if you were showing the same water in Beverly Hills, the attention that you might get initially from your government 
might be significantly higher in a place like Beverly Hills. In, in Michigan, if it if it had been West Bloomfield, Michigan, or Ann Arbor, Michigan, where people were getting delivered this water at, at the at the end of the delivery, I think that the government may have paid more attention to it. There was also a significant amount of cover up that happened once the government realized the water was bad. They they fudged the testing to make it so that it appeared as though the testing rates were much better than they were. Things like that. Mm. Part of the reason they did that is because I think they believed that the community would take their word as true. Part of it is, is, you know, they were just waiting on this other water source. And if they could just ride it out and wait it out and no one got too hurt, then no one would, would be any worse off or, or, or be, be, be any more hurt by it. Whereas in a place where you may have more advocacy from the community and you may have a, a, a larger voice, like in most cities and most states, it just would not have gone on for so long. And I certainly don't think you would have seen the lies because there would have been a fear about lying because they would have feared getting caught from a community yeah. that they may have considered more sophisticated than they thought about the people in Flint. It is so tragic and so upsetting. Yeah, it really is. Um, so we have to ask all of our guests uh, this at the end of our, our interviews. Um, in, in your opinion, if you had to pick one person or thing, it could be a concept to blame for the Flint water crisis, who or what would that be? So if it was a thing I would blame, it's greed. Um, I, you know, I, I think that it, it's hard to pinpoint the shooter that killed this bear, but everybody that had a gun had some greed. And whether it was the banks that realized early on that by facilitating financially the switch, the kids would get hurt, but they did it anyway, or the politicians that were going to line their pockets in some form or fashion through the contracts associated with the construction of the new water facility, everybody prior to the switch who played a role in making that switch happen in their heart of hearts, when they went to bed at night, they knew that using the Flint River was not safe and that people would get hurt. But because of their own self-interest, because of their what they stood to gain in those moments, they either convinced themselves that that hurt would not be too bad or that the hurt didn't matter because they weren't the ones that were going to get hurt. I, I hope it was the former. Because mm -hmm. at least if at least if they could sleep at night by saying no one would be really that hurt, you know, if no one really knows the difference, what what difference does it make? But to me, it's about greed. And then if I were to add a layer to the greed, I would say self-preservation, because part two of the of the of the crisis was, OK, we know something bad has happened. How do we react to it? And, you know, I've been caught in lies before in my own life, you know, and there always comes a moment in time. I tell my kids, you know, if, if Michael Vick had just come clean about being a part of dogfighting, he probably never would have spent two and a half years in a federal, you know, in, in a prison. And the folks in Flint and in the state of Michigan, rather than just sort of getting naked with the world and saying, we really messed this up and we need to come together as a community and fix it, knowing there would be, you know, political casualties with that. Instead, they chose the route that most people choose, the Michael Vick route, where I, you know, I didn't do anything with dogfighting until the videos come out. These folks essentially said there's nothing wrong with the water. The water is fine. While all the while there's internal emails and correspondence and communications where this is bad. This is really bad. We need to do something about this. 
And so greed compounded with self-preservation led to what is now a $641 million settlement, which, by the way, I think every resident of Flint, if given the choice between getting any money from this settlement or never having had this happen to their community, I think to a man, every one of them would, would prefer the latter, that this never would have happened to their community. Well, Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. And honestly, thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing for the people of Flint. Thank you. I appreciate you. And um, I hope that uh, I hope I didn't screw anything up. <laughs> no. And if you did, we're all about screwing up in this podcast. Okay. We have well, no problem good. saying we're wrong. <laughs> that's good. Well, when, when I end up, you know, leaving my job or getting disbarred or one day just retired, this sounds like a good place for me to work because I'm the king of screwing stuff up. <laughs> you got the job, Corey. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Alarmy. What? I, I mean, what a wonderful uh, guy to really be, you know, 
doing this kind of work, uh, I, I, I thought talking to him was so insightful. And he, I, I felt like he really had some new information, don't you think? Yeah, he really did. I mean, it's just so cool. Um, obviously, this is like all ongoing. So it's really, really cool to get to talk to someone who's so actively involved yeah. in all of the aftermath of this. And he he came at it from a, a different perspective, which was really interesting. Um, and oh, my gosh, I was just like scribbling down notes <clears throat> because I think like we hit most of the, the stuff that he brought up. But our emphasis, we didn't maybe have like the exact right emphasis. Yeah, the fact that he really focused on the on the before and the after like the it, for me it was really helpful that he broke it down into two sections it was like the people who gave the green light before and then the people right. who continued once the uh information got out that it you know it was confirmed that they people were getting sick the the fact that they continued to pump out lies and and not really help the community i mean there's almost like you need two trials or something for the before and the after. Right. And so also we should have known it's like in these situations, you always have to follow the money, right? Come on. And we got to follow the money. And so I think, I mean, I had it like, I just had a feeling like this is so weird. It's like, people must have been, like he said, like lining their pockets. And that's what's so, so despicable about this is they knew from the very beginning um, that the Flint water was poisoned because um, I wrote this down. He said, you know, years ago they had tested the Flint River and it came back that it was like poison, but they went ahead with it anyway and they were just hoping, oh, maybe just for whatever, a year or so, it won't be that bad. Um, People will be okay, which is just so so horrible and we did also touch on these banks and the bonds um but he really laid it out in a really clear way so that made made a lot more sense yeah i finally understood how they you know were interlaced with the um with the decision making um the right the, the, the go ahead um i i we did touch on greed uh while we were to, you know, p- putting things up on the board. Um, I think we got a little bit, uh, you know, there's just so many people to blame. In, in, in all fairness, like anything, anyone or any person we would have blamed is to blame. There, it, it's just, <laughs> yes. That's so true. You, you can't get it wrong. You can't get it wrong with this one. There's just so many people. Uh, But I do think maybe we were a little simplistic in sending Governor Rick Snyder to jail because as he was just like calling people out, here's a few of the people he called out. He was like, um, he he basically said the politicians and the banks, the state treasurer, the bonding companies, the Department of Environmental Quality, who we didn't even have up on the board because we were focusing more on the MDEQ. MDEQ. So, I mean, those are just some of the people he called out and in addition to the governor. Right. And he, he even said the EPA um, is essentially uh, will will be charged. Like, yeah, as, as as they should. Yeah. Um, a lot a lot of people. You know, we, we always are comforted by the fact, at least I am, that we have a system of checks and balances and so many things need to get greenlit in order for things to happen that usually were safe along the process. 
But this is an example of when that does not happen. And a lot of the reasons that didn't happen was because people just wanted wanted some cash, wanted the money. Yeah, from the from the whole uh, conception of this idea, which also makes me think we were on the right track with that millionaire. <laughs> we were. I mean, it, it was a, a it was someone who had the city has a history of of being taken advantage in, of in a way. Which also plays into, I mean, what he was saying about the socioeconomic, yeah. which he sort of said well, even more than racism. Of course, it all plays into sure. it, but he w- called out the socioeconomic status. Yeah. And so that that was really interesting. And so we were in, I think, a good area with that slap. We were. We were. I'm thinking I, you know, I want to blame. I, I think I want to change the verdict, Amanda. I think I want okay. to inspired by his response of greed, I want to send every single person who gave the green light Mm. before the switch was made to jail. Because for me, the information that they knew that people were going to get sick, it's not like, oh, I hope, I hope they don't get sick. That, that to me changed things a little bit. They had that information. They knew that they just hoped they wouldn't get too sick to the point of complaining. Yeah, which is terrible. You don't play with people's lives like that. Yeah. I mean, because they probably didn't anticipate the lead situation, right? Right. They just, they thought like, this is gross water. Maybe there'll be an outbreak of something, but we'll deal with that when it happens. But they... Yeah, that, that is just so, so despicable. So I think that we, you know, we're going to have to build some extra cells in the alarmist jail. Okay, so what do we call that? So you want to send every single person who gave the green light <laughs> before the switch was before made. Before the switch was made to jail. And then, I mean, because that also encompasses all the people who were covering it up after the fact. Then you'll, in one swooping sentence, you'll get all of them. Right. And if there's anything that we've learned, I mean, we've learned time and time again in this podcast, um, but hopefully we as a society will learn is is coming clean after you've made mistakes Hmm. or after you get something wrong. I mean, there's so much shame with being wrong. I mean, clearly you and I have... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gotten not not that. as much shit we're getting over it yeah well what's interesting though is like these people it's not like they made a boo-boo no. it's like they went into this with criminal intent yeah and those types of sociopaths and greedy people are as we've seen are not the best at owning up no and to what they and did absolutely should not be running a, a state government they should just not be running no. the state. Um, okay, so we're sending those to jail. And I think as far as the, the slap goes, we had uh, slapped classism and systemic racism. Yes. Um, so I, I think we keep that. I, keep, I think we keep that slap. And I'm going to call it. Every single person who greenlit the, before the switch... Let me say that again. <laughs> Every single person who signed off 
on the switch uh, of, of changing, switching the water from the Detroit uh, treated water to the Flint River water, you're going to the alarmist jail. Okay. So maybe Amanda, you could put a, a sound effects that that's like a bunch of doors closing. Uh, yeah, like, I'll I'll do a, a nice echo. Yeah, cha 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 cha. <laughs> <laughs> and can we just call out real quick how cool and like it was that um, Corey went undercover to get into that town yeah. hall meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it almost, you know, what it did remind me of though, of like you know, she's all that. Uh, remember you know I, I think that's the movie maybe i'm getting it wrong um is that the word where she right. takes the glasses all... off yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so she um she takes the glasses off and she goes from being a nerd to like a beautiful uh uh senior or whatever high school girl <laughs> but like i know you just had to roll up the sleeves and show off those taps. Put, put, put the backwards cap on <laughs> I mean, and you guys, we were already talking about after our interview, we were like, this should be a movie. So who's going to play Corey? And we're if you guys go on uh, the Instagram account, you'll see his picture so you can come up with your casting. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we should cast this movie. Yeah. Um, All right. I could see like maybe a Jamie Dornan. He'd have to do an accent, though, like a Southern accent. Yeah, I had pitched. um, Who did I pitch, Amanda? Shia- well, you said we you, everyone that we think could play him has been canceled, like Shia LaBeouf or Army Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're out. So we're needing some fresh blood here. Yeah, we need Maybe some- like a Chris Evans. Chris Evans, yeah. Or, yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm sure people will have um, uh, some good suggestions. And of course, we're in it too as the podcasters. Yeah, yeah. Here. It's a very important <laughs> part. <laughs> and, and maybe we could get cast as like... Um, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, Salma Hayek uh, and uh, Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron. <laughs> They're a little older than us. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Who is like our age that could do it? Um, it's like Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez. Gomez. And- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Selena Gomez, even though I think she's a little younger than us. I don't know how old she is. It's like Selena Gomez and... Um, Amanda Seyfried. Oh, that would be a dream. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll send us your uh, suggestions for this casting. We'll get on it. Um, Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And thank you to Corey again for uh, talking to us about this ongoing crisis. Uh, And Amanda, you know, thank you for, for being the backbone here and, but letting us, letting us do what we want to do. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing The Little Rock Nine. Erios. Powered by ACAST. 
Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.